Blog Talk Radio. Hi everyone, this is Camille from sunny California, and you're listening to the Coffee Chat with Camille show, which is a podcast series that interviews various guests about real-life topics for people who love to learn. Hi everyone, welcome to the show. The topic today is what are five insider tips every speaker needs to know with Tyler Foley. He's actually on hold right now. We were having a few little hiccups. So we're going to get started here. Sean Tyler Foley is an accomplished film and stage performer and has been acting in film and television since he was six years old after his father passed away suddenly in a motor vehicle accident. He has appeared in productions including Freddy vs. Jason, Door to Door, Carrie, and the musical Ragtime. Tyler's passionate about helping others confidently take the stage and impact an audience with their stories. He's currently the managing director of Total Buy, oh, Total Buy In, sorry, and author of the number one best-selling book, The Power to Speak Naked. Tyler's a father, a husband, son, performer in that order okay and i would like to go on but i I need to move forward but you can read more about tyler inside the description for the show and if i have time or and or if my time permits i'll read more after the after the interview okay everyone and also um let me see here oh you can also go to his website it is um and less oh in less stages dot com and less stages dot com okay and so let's go ahead and get started with our interview with the wonderful Tyler okay mm, let's see I think I see him right over here yay. hi Tyler thank you so much for holding we were having a few little difficulties. How are you? Oh, no problem, Camille. Oh, I, it, I'm doing well. It's a joy and a pleasure to be on and have a coffee talk with you. <laughs> Wonderful. We're going to go ahead and get into this interview. Thank you so much for being here. So how do I get, oh, excuse me, how do, yeah, how do I get over stage fright? Well, first of all, the understanding of what stage fright is uh, most people will think that they're afraid of public speaking that just isn't the case most people are actually afraid of public judgment standing what that fear of that we're experiencing when we go on stage where that anxiety is coming from is usually the mm-hmm. very first step in overcoming that fear right you can't conquer a thing until you can name it so what recognizing that we're not actually afraid of public speaking what we're afraid of is public judgment and then recognizing mm-hmm. that there's no need for it the audience is usually on your side and I would I would challenge your your listening audience anybody who regularly listens to your show how 
often do they tune into Coffee Chat and uh, and think to themselves, man, I hope this sucks, <laughs> right? Nobody does. <laughs> they're not they're not tuning in, going, oh, I hope Camille forgets everything that she was going to say, or I hope this guest has nothing good to say. I'm sure everything that the guest says. I've already heard or know, like those aren't the things that the audience thinks. And yet that's the story that we tell ourselves before we go on stage, you know, that we're not good enough. Somebody else does it bigger, better, stronger, brighter, faster, um, that we may forget what we're going to say or that we're just not good enough and that we just don't have anything to offer to an audience. And the fact of the matter is, if that was the case, the audience wouldn't show up. The fact that the audience is there says that they're on your side, that they want you to succeed. And, and this is true, I think. Mm. Anytime we go to any kind of a performance, we want that person to succeed. And so it's up to us to then live up to that expectation. It's um, an easy thing to do when you recognize that you wouldn't have had that opportunity if you weren't already the authority. They wouldn't have asked you to come and speak on that stage, whatever that platform happens to be. And one of the reasons why my group is called Endless Stages is because I do believe the opportunities to speak in public are endless. They're, they're limitless. There's no end to the opportunities that you have to present your story in a public forum. So recognizing that you are the authority, especially if you're speaking on your own story, your own experience, your own knowledge, and using that stage uh, to tell your story is an opportunity for an audience to learn more about you and they want to learn more about you. They're on your side. So you are the authority. The audience is on your side. And if you take that mindset going into any opportunity, uh, it's very easy at that point to overcome stage fright. Okay. Thank you so much. And then where does stage fright come from? Well, stage fright comes from that you know, primal fear within our hippocampus where you're like fight or flight and, and you are looking at the audience as a threat and they're not a threat. And again, it becomes down to this mindset that um, you are, if you are perceiving the audience as a threat, you are naturally going to take a defensive posture. But if you look at them as what they actually are, and that is a precious gift, then it's real easy. You know, they're your friends. You look for those those friendly faces in the audience, the people who are there to support you, the people who want you to succeed. It's very easy to find that. So the stage fright itself is coming from this misguided perception that the audience is there to attack you as opposed to support you. Excellent. And then what is the power of story? Well, story is how we have been communicating with each other for millennia. Um, Long before we had written traditions and written language, we had oral traditions. And it's through the oral, oral traditions that we have been able to pass down our knowledge and gain knowledge and grow our knowledge. So the power of story is that it allows us to pass on knowledge in allegory. It gives us the opportunity to allow someone else to metaphorically walk in our shoes. Because they say to never judge a person until you've walked a mile in their shoes. And and I can't do that, right? Like physically, Mm -hmm. if you and I wanted to switch places right now, we have uh, a border and a nation between us plus a time zone. I can't physically Mm -hmm. come and walk in your shoes. But if you tell me a story, 
and if you are very descriptive with it. The more specific you are with the details, the more universal it will speak to me. And then I can actually see how you walked that path. And if I can walk that path along with you, then I can start to gain empathy for you. I can start to gain sympathy for you. I can start to gain understanding with you. All of these things allow me to see your world through your eyes, and it's only through there that I can have an understanding of why it is you feel some of the things that you feel. And that's the power of story. Story is transformative. It takes us away. It allows us to see things from a different point of view, and it gives us the opportunity to communicate vastly complex ideas in a simple narrative. Oh, that's excellent. And then how do I tell a compelling story when my life isn't exciting? Well, I think the the biggest misconception out there is that in order to tell an engaging or a captivating story, that it needs to be a, a Michael Bay blockbuster with you know, explosions and and robots that transform and practical effects and, and, you know, knights in shining armor. Like, it just is not the case. The What makes a compelling story is interest. And the way to make a story interesting to your audience is to recognize that if you were to follow the hero's journey model that Joseph Campbell made famous, you know, you, you meet your hero and they're in a state of unaware. And then there's a triggering event that sends them into a state of chaos where they begin their journey and they have to cross the threshold. They have to choose whether or not to go back to ignorance or to explore new knowledge. And in exploring the new knowledge, they have to find a, a sage or a mentor. And that mentor guides them on a series of trials and tribulations until they have gained enough knowledge that they can then and skill so that they can overcome their nemesis or their adversary, the final battle, where at which point they defeat their demon and start their journey back home. And the problem with most people when they tell their story is they're trying to tell it from the perspective that they are the hero. And that's actually a really boring story narrative to your audience. But if you flip it and you make your audience the hero and you tell your story from the viewpoint of the sage and the mentor who is now going to pass the knowledge on to your audience who is the hero so that they can overcome their battle with, the, with their demon, that's how you tell a compelling story. Quit trying to be the hero of your story. Be the sage and the mentor and your audience will find it powerfully engaging. Right. Thank you. And then how do I discover my audience? Well, your audience is actually discovering you. You already probably know your audience. You just don't call them that. You're probably calling them friends and family. And what your audience is doing is asking you questions. There is something that most people come and ask you, no matter who you are and what you do in your walk of life. There is something that you are known for that you do better than anybody else. You know, I think uh, I have a, a friend and her son is fascinated with Rubik's Cubes, absolutely fascinated. And he started to look up videos on YouTube about how to speed cube and solve these puzzles really, really, really fast. And then he started doing competitions. 
And next thing you knew, he was winning them. And you had other people that were coming to him saying, how did you do that so fast? And then he started showing other people. And then he started doing the YouTube videos. You know, his audience was uh, these people who were fascinated with the Rubik's Cube. And my nephew has gotten into um, ninja sports and not like martial arts, but like ninja warrior, like going through these um, very dynamic athletic courses that require um, multiple muscles and skill sets to climb, jump, run, balance, um, all those kinds of things. And, you know, he started to win provincial championships, national championships. He's going to be competing internationally in Orlando this summer. And people in his area have come to him and asked, well, how do you do that? And he started to tell it. So if you want to find your audience, you've probably already found them. They're the people who are coming to you and asking for a specific set of advice that is unique to you. And other people may be doing it. I think of, you know, the Rubik's Cube thing. Um, my friend's son learned how to do it watching other people do it. But he found mm-hmm. that he had this skill set and this genius, and he was able to do it as well. So just because somebody else is doing it one way doesn't mean that you can't be doing it similarly but with your own taste. And so your audience is going to be the one who gravitates to you because your story and how you came to learn this skill set is different than somebody else's. So combining your story, your specific circumstances, how you came to acquire this knowledge, and then asking yourself, who is it that keeps coming and asking me how to do this? That is your ideal audience. The other potential for your ideal audience is you five to ten years ago. Think of who you were five to ten years ago, what you needed to know, where you were at, what skill sets did you have, what skill sets did you need to acquire, um, what were you struggling with, what were you succeeding with, where, what was the toolbox that you had and how did you need to build upon it, and then speak to yourself five to ten years ago, and that's probably your, your ideal audience as well. Okay. And then how do I determine my client avatar? Very similarly to what we've just discussed, your client avatar is going to be, once you have determined what it is that people are asking you, now get really specific on what those people have in common. Who keeps coming to you and asking for this advice? And start to really narrow down. So for me, my advice is on public speaking. I show people how to powerfully show up behind the mic and tell their story in an engaging way that has people listening. And it's a skill set that I developed over 35 years of being on stage. You know, I was on stage at six years old, and this is something that is basically ingrained in my DNA. And so I found that I had people who, after every time I would speak in public, they would say, wow, you're really good. How did you do that? I wish I could do that. And I'd say, well, it's really easy to do. And the more I started paying attention to what advice I was giving around public speaking, that spoke to, you know, what my ideal audience would be. But then I started to figure out who the avatar was by really honing in on who it was that was asking for that advice. And for me, it tended to be female entrepreneurs and charity directors between 35 and 55 who had a very social conscious, mission driven enterprise that they were the head of, but were uncomfortable being the head of it because it was a leadership position that was kind of thrust onto them because they decided to start that charity or because they were promoted in a family business. 
and now every all the eyes are looking on them and they don't feel comfortable in their own skin because they feel that their story isn't important. And so for me, my ideal avatar is that um, diminished light that needs to shine, that female entrepreneur, charity director, 35 to 45, as high as 50, who really, really, really has a strong, powerful social conscience message but is afraid to share it because she doesn't want to diminish the light of others and has spent an entire lifetime trying to help others shine bright instead of uh, – being that guiding candle herself. And that is typically who is coming to ask for my advice and now who my typical avatar is. Excuse me, and then how do I discover my why? Well, I mean, there's so many different ways to do it, and Simon Sinek does it. You know, he has his method, and he's really the, the person who came up with this this idea behind the why. What I like to do is adopt the curiosity of a five-year-old. You know, my daughter's seven years old right now, and I remember between three and five, all she would ask is why, because the world was new to her. And it hadn't, she hadn't yet discovered the rationale behind things. And so she was constantly curious, why, 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 why? And she didn't stop asking why until her curiosity had been fully satiated, which was almost never. And so when we want to find our why, uh, there's an exercise that I learned as a safety consultant um, doing root cause analysis of incidents. Uh, There's many, many different ways to get to the root cause of of why something has happened or occurred so that you can start to address the control measures to put in place to prevent it from happening in the future. And one of those methods is called the five whys. Now, I love the method because it's very simplistic. You ask why. I don't like the name of it because it implies that you only ask why five times, where in reality you can ask why an infinite number of times until you get to the root source. And so if you want to find your why, I strongly advise people to adopt the curiosity of a five-year-old and ask yourself, the first question, why did I do this thing? And then why do I always do this thing? And it doesn't have to start end with just why. Any of the five W's, who, what, where, when, why, and how, if you want to throw in the H. These are questions to keep asking until you get to your deepest, most rooted core. You know, for me, why do I want to be on stage and help people? Well, because it feels good. Well, why does it feel good? Because I'm, you know, supporting a community. Why specifically do I work with female entrepreneurs? You know, the male entrepreneurs oftentimes are are more willing and want to step into this limelight. And, and so, you know, they you would think that would be an easier fit because there would be more of them. But I don't feel satisfaction in that. Well, why? Well, probably because I was raised by a single mother. What does that have to do with it? Well, I saw how she struggled to raise her own voice, and I saw how well she did at equipping my sister with, with feeling comfortable in speaking her voice. And when my daughter was born, it was one of the first things I wanted to do was ensure that my daughter had uh, a voice in this world and that she felt comfortable and confident with it. In fact, in the dedication to my book, The Power to Speak Naked, it's dedicated to my daughter, encouraging her to always feel that she will be heard and uh, that her voice matters. 
And so why is that important to me? Well, because I saw my mom's light diminish when my father passed away and so many um, getting forced with the patriarchy to really keep her mouth shut. She was just an admin. And in fact, she probably ran, you know, knew more about the company as an admin than the partners that she worked for. And yet she was she was just an admin and her value was diminished and, and along with that her voice and I don't don't want her voice to do it. So when I'm diving deep into my why, I've seen three generations of women in my life who have either been diminished or raised with the power of their voice and wanting to make sure that my third generation, my daughter, has the ability to go forward in this world and know in her soul that her voice will be heard. And that's really my driving factor. That's my why. And I got to it by asking why, 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 until I got down to the deep core. You know you've hit it because it's going to take your breath away. You feel it in your heart and your lungs and your soul. You just you, you know when you've globbed onto it. And that's really the, the best way to go through and find your why. Excellent, excellent. One moment. Okay, there we go. Yeah, that was very powerful. And then how do I give better, more engaging presentations? Well, by combining everything that we've discussed so far. You know, the first thing to do is to recognize that you are the authority. So step out with authority. We We, as a human species have a sixth sense when it comes to somebody's comfort level. We can sense energy in a room. And if you're not comfortable in a room, you're going to make other people uncomfortable in a room, especially if you're the center of attention. And unfortunately, it's a vicious feedback loop. You become uncomfortable, which makes other people feel uncomfortable. You sense their their unease, and then you become more uncomfortable and it just self-perpetuates. And the opposite can also be true. If you come in with great strength, great authority, um, great confidence, you feel confident, and then the the audience feels confidence from you, and they become more relaxed, which you know, and then become more engaged, and then you feel more confident because you are interacting with uh, uh, an audience that is on that is really um, into what you are saying, and so when you want to tell these really engaging stories, the first thing, most of that prep is going to be working on you, on the inside of your mind, knowing that you are the authority, that the audience is on your side. When you step out onto that stage, they are there for you and you are there for them and focus on the one thing that matters. And that is leaving your audience better than you found them, recognizing that they are truly a gift in your life. And if you can focus on even if it's just one thing, and even if it's just one person, changing one person just incrementally for the better, everyone else will take something from that presentation. And then understand that if you want to be the authority, the only thing you are an absolute authority of is your own biography, your own life, your own story. Because you may be an expert in XYZ. I am, I would consider myself an expert in public speaking. I've been doing it for almost my entire life on a professional platform. And so I do feel that I am an authority in this space, recognizing that there are hundreds, if not thousands, 
of other authorities within this space. But what I am the undisputed authority of is my own story, how I came to be here, how I came to get to this spot. And so telling your story your way, recognizing that you are the sage and mentor, not the hero of the story, and that you are there to help guide your audience to a higher plane, that's how you start to tell these powerful, engaging stories, by combining all of the things that we've discussed so far. Excellent. And then how can I engage or re-engage my audience? Well, it happens to the best of us, right? Even as a professional and somebody who's been doing this for a very long time, there are times where an audience wanes. Maybe you go off on a tangent, as I'm prone to do, as you've already heard on this interview. Um, You can, you know, start to see your audience drift or wane. And in those scenarios and in those cases, um, some of the tricks that you can do, it really depend on, on the medium in which you're presenting. But one of the ones that I like to use in live presentations is the turn to your partner trick, right? Turn to your partner and, and share. Um, one of the things that this does is it forces your audience to take a step back and think about what has been presented and have them view it through their own lens. How did it impact them? So one of my favorite statements is, you know, what is the biggest takeaway you've, you've gotten so far from either this day or this segment or this section or in the last hour or in the last 15 minutes? I give them some kind of metric for them to, to analyze. And then, you know, what is your biggest takeaway in that time period and share it with, uh, with a partner? And so they turn to a partner and they, and they share. This does a couple of different things. It forces them to analyze the information that's been presented with them in a very, um, if you have a very data-driven or heavy presentation with a lot of information, it forces them to actually start to analyze and think. Then it, they share it, and in sharing, that um, reinforces the messaging because one person says, this was my takeaway. Another person says, this is my takeaway. And so they both reinforce their own messaging, which is your messaging. That also gives you an opportunity to take a break and a reset. If you were starting to lose them, it gives you a moment to take pause and say, where, were, where was I at? Where do we need to go? How do we get back on track? How did I lose this audience? And it also gives you a moment to listen to what some of those responses are, especially if you do like a bubble up at the end. Okay, now who wants to share what one of their takeaways was? Because if you do that, who wants to share what one of their takeaways was? Now your entire audience gets to start having that message reinforced. So not only have you said it, but it's been reinforced two times in this partnership, and then it's been reinforced a third time to the entire group as a whole. And you can do that as many times as you feel is appropriate. And then that gives you a pulse check. Did people understand me correctly? Was my message understood the way that I intended it to be understood. Do I need to uh, support and reinforce what has just been said, or do I need to correct what has been said? And that will help engage your audience because the more you can get your audience talking with you and along with the information, the more engaging uh, uh, your presentation will be. Uh, The biggest misconception that people have is that if they've been given 45 minutes to talk, that they should talk for the full 45 minutes. In 45 minutes of presentation, your presentation should only be about 20 and 25 minutes, and the rest of that should be question and answer and interaction and engagement with your audience. 
Excellent. Okay, perfect. And then how can I network better? Well, uh, one of the big things is to start embracing your story and quit thinking that your solution is for everybody. You know, I, I say you own a restaurant, right? And then everybody loves food. Everybody needs to eat, so everybody needs to come to my restaurant. So you should you should buy my food and come to my restaurant. And the reality is, well, your food is not for everybody. You know, maybe you serve Italian, and and uh, some people want it spicier, and some people want it plainer. Or maybe somebody is gluten intolerant, and or lactose intolerant, so they can't have cheese and they can't have bread. So therefore, pizza is completely and totally irrelevant to them, and pasta with cream sauces is not going to go for, well for them either. You know, you don't know people's circumstances. And when people come in saying, this is what I do and this is for everybody, this is for you, it's a, it's a real disservice because we all tune it out. One of the best things you can do to be more effective in networking is say, this is my story. This is my experience. This is my knowledge set. And if anybody is, is struggling or knows somebody who's struggling with that, I would love to have a conversation with you over here and draw them to you like a moth to the flame as opposed to trying to be a fire hydrant or fire hose putting out somebody's fire that you don't know if they're actually on, right? Like th- this assumption that everybody's on fire, so I'm going to just spray them with this hose. What you end up doing is putting out a fire and soaking 100 other people. And then, every, you know, the one person is like, oh, thank goodness, you solved my solution. And 99 other people are like, now I'm wet for no reason. Where if you're like, so for the people who are on fire, I've got a fire extinguisher over in the corner. Those people will come to you and you can extinguish their fire. And that's how we should offer our products and services. Instead of saying this is something that everybody needs or this is what I want or even saying what it is that you do, address what the problem is. So when I go networking, usually what I say is uh, – and I don't. And the other thing is, somebody's probably introduced you, so you don't need to say your name again because you're probably wearing a name tag. And somebody has said, "Okay, now you know, Camille, go speak." So for me, I go. If anybody here is like me and is an introvert and absolutely hates coming to these network events and don't know how to do them well, I am. I have spent the last 20 years perfecting a solution so that even the most introverted person out there can feel confident in a networking scenario and find their ideal clients in a powerful way that creates a design alliance that allows you to really solve their problem without feeling salesy and without feeling like you're pitching an entire room. So if anybody else here is, was struggling with that the same way that I was, I would love to have a conversation with you over here in the corner. I don't tell them what the solution is. I don't even tell them what I do. I tell them what the problem is and that I have a solution for it. And that's mm-hmm. how you be a better uh, networker. Okay. And for our, oh, yeah, for our last question, Tyler, what is your favorite coffee or hot beverage? Hands down, a London fog. I, it is my go-to because I don't, I don't drink coffee. I've never, never enjoyed coffee. It's not a, not a drink that I have. And yet it's how we as a society socialize, right? Everybody, half of my business meetings are conducted at cafes. So I had to find a drink that I enjoyed. And uh, London Fog is, you know, it's basically a latte, but with tea. Okay. And 
nicely spiced. You know, you get a little bit of broth and foam with it. I really love Earl Grey tea. And, and just that hint of vanilla makes it so much nicer. So a London Fog is my default every time. Excellent. Thank you so very much for your uh, appearance, first and foremost and um, all of your wisdom and knowledge. It was just amazing. And I just feel so thankful to finally have had you on my show. And also, did you want to um, leave our audience with any other, like, uh, social media handles or anything where they can uh, reach you? Absolutely, Camille. So if anybody is interested... um, they can always find me on any of the websites. So you had already mentioned Endless Stages, but they can look yes. for me uh, on my website, which is SeanTylerFoley.com, and Sean is spelled the proper Irish way, S-E-A-N-T-Y-L-E-R-F-O-L-E-Y. <laughs> and just say Tyler sent you. You'll see the uh, invitation to Endless Stages on there. Uh, you can search me on all my socials, and it's usually my full professional name, so Sean Tyler Foley on just about everything, Facebook, Instagram, I think uh, the only exception to that is Twitter, where I'm dropped the mic YYC to go along with my training program. And uh, But you can always search the name, and, it, and it'll pop you up. And, uh, yeah, if uh, anybody wants to learn more about, you know, some of the secrets to being a better, more confident public speaker, I'd strongly encourage them to hop over to Endless Stages or pick up the book, The Power to Speak Naked. Perfect. Thank you so very much. And it's been very engaging. Bye for now, Tyler. Thank you. Bye, Camille. Okay, everyone. That was the magnificent Tyler. Um, Tyler Foley, sorry about that. He is so great. Wasn't he great? I am so thrilled to have him. I I saw him earlier, um, actually, I think um, last year. I wanted him on, and it, I think it fell through, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I I was just so grateful that he was able to come on the show, and you can see why. Um, and um, like I said, when you have a moment, please read about him in the description. I do plan on uh, writing up a short article about him in the Coffee Journal, which is um, my... Uh, media magazine that I just started. I don't know if I mentioned that in my other episodes, but I have indeed started the coffee journal on Substack. And so um, it's kind of like a coffee blog, but it's a journal because I am uh, officially a member of the press. Um, I work as an independent journalist and I'm starting my own media company. And it's all about positive media, by the way. Totally positive, folks. Let's let's get back to some of that, right? <laughs> so, at any rate, yeah. So I'm definitely going to be writing him up, and also I had an Olympian on. Um, I definitely want to write his story. And these are not like super long, drawn out articles. They're really just my thoughts about my guest, and also. Um, how they affected me as a listener along with you, my listeners. I also want to always thank you, my listeners and my audience, which is pretty global at this point. Like we've added on Australia. So hello, Australians, you Aussies out there. 
Um, but I want to thank everyone for listening. And with your encouragement and support, I'm able to feel quite encouraged at what I do. So thank you very, very much. Also, um, I was going to go ahead and head over to that pre-Oscar party that I had uh, was supposed to go to, uh, I think it was yesterday. But due to the peculiar weather we're having here in Cali, I had decided to be safe rather than sorry because I'm just not sure. And uh, also because of uh, the distance, there's a little distance between me and L.A. right now. Um, Shortly, I think in... um, at least by the end of this year, I want to try to uh, move a little bit closer to Hollywood or into Hollywood. But um, right now, we're just having some pretty wild weather. So I just really want to be safe, you know, and I want my family to be safe and actually everyone, everyone to be safe right through now. Um, And uh, truly, yesterday, it was beautiful weather, like amazing and now it's again looks like the storm is moving back in here um so uh let's see here what was i gonna say ay 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 yes this episode will be found on my website the show's website rather coffeechatwithcamille.com i do now have my very first sponsor buymecoffee.com how simple is that buymecoffee.com <laughs> and uh and then for these wonderful tea lovers i might get something uh, hopefully find a sponsor that deals in tea as well because i love tea i love matcha tea and chai and green and earl and the whole nine um okay so um I will see if I can get some tea sponsorship going on, folks. All right. All right. So it's been a magnificent show. So very encouraging. Learned so very much from our magnificent guest, Tyler Folly. All right. And on that note, I am going to say goodbye and have a happy rest of the week. Bye for now. And thank you for listening.